ruin Cause I'm about to ruin The image and the style that you're used to I look funny But yo, I'm making money, see So yo, world, I hope you're ready for me Now gather round I'm the new fool in town And my sound's laid down by the underground I'm drinking all the Hennessy you got on your shelf So just let me introduce Welcome to DFS MVP Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast Presented by 4 for 4 Football I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon Joined as always by my guy, Mr. TJ Hernandez What's up, TJ? Chris, what's going on? Uh, just getting ready for a lucky week number seven. Uh, it's, it's a pretty hard week, but hopefully we can help y'all out with this hard week. Yeah, it's interesting week. I just think there's actually a lot of plays, which I guess makes it hard because there are just a lot of different games and teams to target and situations. So we'll get into all of that. We'll break down the primetime slate again for our DFS theory segment. I'm sure you guys want to hear us talk about the Falcons and the Patriots. That's going to be probably a a really interesting game for a lot of people, whether you're playing a lot of DFS or just as a football fan. And of course, the music that played us in was the Humpty Dance, Digital Underground, Sex Packets, um, 1990. Great song. Check it out. The Humpty Dance, Digital Underground off Sex Packets from 1990. Let's get right into it. Week one, I mean, excuse me, week seven, QBs. TJ, who you got? Quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting off with uh, Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. He's $7,000 on FanDuel, $5,100 on DraftKings. Uh, he's going to be uh, a pivot, at least off DraftKings, off of uh, Brett Hundley, who I think might end up being a popular play just because he's cheap in the Packers quarterback. But I think Tyrod's a little bit safer. Uh, Tampa Bay ranks 30th in uh, quarterback AFPA. They've allowed 300 yards or multiple touchdowns through the air in every game that they've played this year. Uh, they've allowed the third most fantasy points per attempt. That's a metric that I look at every week, just separate out just the, the passing uh, fantasy points, because obviously uh, quarterback quarterback fantasy points uh, involve rushing data too. So just on a per attempt uh, basis, Tampa Bay ranks uh, third worst. And then Tyrod is a 4 for 4 top two projected value on DraftKings. And then of course, I mentioned that safety net. Uh, Tyrod rushing is always something that we look to. He has the second most rush attempts this year. He's averaging about 25 yards per game. Uh, I think we, we talked about this off air a little bit just because uh, of the weapons or lack thereof. I think he'll get his yardage, but I think it could lead to some more rushing uh, than usual for Tyrod against Tampa Bay. So who are you stacking him with? Andre Holmes, Zay Jones, or Nick Mike O'Leary? Tol- Mike Tolbert's going to get 10 targets. <laughs> he just might, man. We <laughs> talked about this off air. Like I could see McCoy getting 30 and, and Tolbert getting another 15 because they really have nothing else. Jordan Matthews, Charles Clay out, but... When you see these bottom three, bottom five schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed ratings for opposing defenses, you just got to kind of smash these quarterbacks against them or any position really um, usually tends to work out more often than not. So I like the call there. I'm going with Dak Prescott. He is 7,300 on DraftKings and 8,400 on FanDuel. He goes up against a 49ers defense that is ranked 24th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. Two quarterbacks. Dak is second in FanDuel points per game and fourth in DraftKings points per game on the season. Dallas has a 26.5 point implied point total. Dak has just been a really strong option all year long. 
getting some of that rushing production to go along with his passing production and another good matchup for Dak. Like him a lot in this spot. So going with Dak, another mobile quarterback this week in a week where I think there'll be a pretty high ownership of a bunch of quarterbacks that can run around. Yeah, uh, especially on, on FanDuel. I don't know if it's going to be as easy to pay up for an expensive quarterback on DraftKings, but uh, I, I do just kind of like piling up offenses against San Francisco at this point. And one thing that uh, I look at, but I think we forget to discuss and a lot of people might overlook in their research is when you're uh, looking for an offense to target as maybe just like a team stack or a few players to stack. I like looking at uh, teams that are facing opposing teams with bad quarterbacks. So with uh, CJ Bethard likely to start uh, inexperience. I mean, anytime you could get in a spot where your team might turn the ball over a lot, that's added scoring opportunities and i really like dallas a lot that's this week for that reason yeah san francisco has just been a good team to target um, with opposing qbs and that's a great point um you know when you have that ball control element going back the other way you can get some some cheap scores and a lot of times that can put you over the top in terms of uh team stack uh who you got a running back running back yeah, I'm going right back to the well this week. Uh, last week, we both talked up Mark Ingram both on here and in our write-ups. Uh, his, his price obviously went up a little bit after that big game, but we don't have a lot of value uh, at running back this week. Uh, the expensive running backs kind of dominate the top of the 4 for 4 value projections, uh, and Ingram's still relatively affordable, at least compared to some of the other top guys. He's 7100 on FanDuel, $6,700 on DraftKings. Uh, obviously everyone knows how great of a game Ingram had last week. He saw 66% of the snaps and 68% of the backfield touches. Uh, both of those were highs for the season, but it's also the second straight game that Ingram, uh, saw over 60% of the snaps. So it wasn't just like Adrian Peterson was gone and all of a sudden Ingram saw this big uptick. He's been steadily trending upward in this offense and it looks like New, New Orleans is kind of finally hitting their, their flow. They started off a little slow this year, but now they're favored by six over Green Bay. I mentioned uh, that looking at Dallas because they're going to be facing an inexperienced quarterback where, well, New Orleans is in the same spot and their defense has been playing uh, really well. We saw it last week against Detroit and I think that it sets up for a very similar game script that we saw last week uh, with the Saints. I think they, they could really dominate this game against Green Bay. They're favored by six on the road with an implied point total over 26 and we saw Hundley come in, throw three picks last week and uh, New Orleans has been, they've been turning the ball over really nicely, top five or six in interception rate forced, and then they have uh, second best adjusted line yards, uh, which Ingram's going to be running behind a, a great offensive line. It's actually a, a pretty decent matchup against Green Bay, who ranks in the bottom 10 in adjusted line yards. That's a stat that our friends over at Football Outsiders put out that kind of lumps all of the offensive line play into one uh, one number and just looks like it sets up great for Ingram to have a, another big game. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think Ingram's in a spot similar to Melvin Gordon the week before where, you know, we, we of course always try to target players when they're giving you good value when their salary drops. A lot of times that creates opportunity, but at the same time, you don't always want to be uh, scared off by a salary increase, even a big one, because I think we saw that with Melvin Gordon where his price got down real low and then he had a big game against the Giants. His price went up 
by I think over a thousand dollars on both sites, and he was still under ten percent owned again in most places, and had another thirty point fantasy game coming right off of it. So I think this is a similar spot for Ingram, where you just don't want to overthink it. The volume is still there. He's priced a little bit more appropriately now, but that was because he was priced just so low before with the three headed backfield. So I like Ingram a lot this week. I think it, it makes a lot of sense to go back to him in all formats. I'm going with LaShawn McCoy. He is 7,400 on DraftKings, 7,900 on FanDuel. And we kind of alluded to it in talking about Tyrod Taylor, but the Bills really don't have anything else but Shady McCoy. And they're going against a Buccaneers defense that is ranked third to last in overall uh, offensive schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed, you know, to entire offenses. So somebody's got to get this production. And McCoy is obviously the one in line to get a large chunk of it. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get his largest workload of the season coming out of the bye. He already leads the Bills in targets with 32 and target share with 23.5%. I could see that rising to well over uh, 25% for this game. Double digit targets is distinctly in the realm of possibility and McCoy looks like he'll be a home favorite um we don't have a we have a line out on this game it's three points in favor of Buffalo um I'm not sure if that's assuming Jameis Winston is playing or not playing um, there's no over under on the game but I assume whether he plays or not Buffalo would still be at home um would still be a favorite and McCoy is a home favorite in his career and you don't want to overrate these splits but um just try to take note of them sometimes in his career he's averaged 0.79 touchdowns per game as a home favorite versus 0.49 in all other games so um, a lot more touchdown production when he's a home favorite and with Buffalo it's been even more apparent since 2015 when he joined the Bills 1.3 touchdowns per game as a home favorite compared to 0.4 in all other games so these are the kind of spots where LaShawn McCoy tends to go off. He's been having somewhat of a quiet season so far, struggled to be efficient running the ball in some tough matchups, but this should be a a pretty solid matchup for McCoy, and he's going to get a ton of usage, so uh, I really like him this week. What what do you think McCoy's target ceiling is? We've seen two running backs get uh, 14 targets this year. That's tops on the year, and we've seen four other instances where running backs got 12 targets. You think he can surpass 14 targets? I mean, Tampa Bay is awful uh, against the pass, and like you said, Shady's been their primary pass catcher. You think he can go over 15 this week? I wouldn't say it's out of the question. I think if anyone was, it would be somebody like him where he's already been getting, um, thrown the ball a lot. And this, if this is, if this goes the way it's most likely to go where it's, it's a three point spread, which means, and Buffalo's the home team, which means essentially these teams are rated pretty equally. If this is a close game and Buffalo, has has to you know move the ball up and down the field to kind of stay in the game um I think you could see McCoy get yeah 12 you know at least double digit targets and I think he could surpass uh 14 15 um but obviously that's at the top end of top end of his outcomes but it's it's in the realm of possibility I think you're, you're gonna see Mike Tolbert in there um getting getting some decent usage as well yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's going to be, we, we talked about it before the pod. It's going to be one of those spots where we know we like Tyrod and Shady and the difference in maybe winning some of these huge tournaments can just be who's, who's that third player or fourth player that you, uh, want on Buffalo. Cause I, I think they, they could put up a big number, but, uh, wide receiver. 
Moving on to wide receivers, I'm looking at a couple guys that could uh, benefit volume-wise uh, from injuries to their their teammate counterparts. And starting with my DraftKings wide receiver, Demarius Thomas at 5,800. Uh, Manny Sanders went down, uh, what was it, about halfway through that game last week, and Demarius yeah. ended up with, with 14 targets with with after Manny already saw eight. So obviously we know that that offense is one that is very concentrated on the receivers in the passing game, and especially with those two. Uh, so I don't know if another receiver comes in and necessarily walks in and takes Manny's targets. We've seen it so many times. People kind of want to uh, plug in a wide receiver two because one of the guys is out. It just doesn't work like running back. So I think Demarius stands to see another game similar to that uh, 12 to 14 target range. Chargers uh, as a whole have not been great against receivers. They rank 24th in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed and going back to to football outsiders they split up uh how good a offense i mean i'm sorry defenses versus number ones and number twos and there there's a little bit of uh, arbitrary judgment in that but it's worth noting that chargers have one of the bigger splits in the league they rank 21st against wide receiver ones but second against wide receiver twos we know demarius is going to be a clear number one in this spot where that always isn't so clear on this team and then uh casey hayward's been okay as a cover corner but demarius has a huge size, size advantage uh four inches and 30 pound advantage over Casey Hayward. We know uh, Demarius is, is going to catch a lot of those shorter passes, use his body, try to break tackles. So that definitely comes into play with just the way the Broncos use him. And he's a, he's a top three projected value by four for four on DraftKings. So I do like him in that salary range at 5,800. And then uh, going over to FanDuel, Jarvis Landry at 7,000. And sometimes we think of Landry as a, a DraftKings play because he's a PPR guy, but uh, just kind of the way pricing works out this week. His his range is kind of tough to get to on DraftKings, where FanDuel, there's a lot more flexibility. And with uh, with Devontae Parker questionable for Week 7, uh, Landry should just continue to see uh, that massive volume, 34% target share. And we don't think of him as a touchdown scorer, but 36% red zone target share this year. And a lot of those targets have come inside the 10-yard line. So people like to think of t- touchdown upside as getting deep red uh, end zone targets. But uh, FanDuel, we, we talk about it all the time. If you're getting red zone work you're a good uh you're a good value play on Fanduel. Landry's going to get that volume against the Jets who rank 22nd in AFPA uh, a metric that I kind of like to look at on my own is dollars per average target Landry's top on both sites and then uh, we haven't had too many weather concerns this year but there's expected to be winds approaching 20 miles per hour in Miami this week so we know that uh, kind of eliminates a lot of the long passes Landry is a, a more uh, short target guy so if those winds do whip up that could uh, push the the Dolphins and Cutler to throw to Landry even more. Yeah, it's funny because I actually, for my FanDuel uh, slate breakdown, I actually essentially said the same thing. I said, you know, we think of Landry as this PPR guy, but this year, I think it's 42.9% of targets of the team's targets inside the 10 mm-hmm. scored a couple of touchdowns. It almost seems like Jay Cutler's actually made him a little more consistent from game to game. It used to be that you could only use Landry in really negative game scripts for the most part. That's where you would right. kind of rack up most of his production. But this year, you just kind of, Jay Cutler doesn't really seem to be looking downfield much, or maybe he's not getting the time, or he's he's just getting a little, I don't know, getting a little scared in the pocket or whatever. But Landry just seems to produce every single game now. So, like it. Uh, I got Pierre, Pierre Garçon on DraftKings. He's 5,800. I'm not sure if people will be scared off by the QB change, but 
when C.J. Beathard came in the game last week. He completed five of eight targets to Garcon for 55 yards. That was uh, the highest target share uh, for Beathard among 49ers receivers. And he's averaging 9.3 targets per game overall. I mean, we know what San Francisco wants to do with Garcon. That's why they signed him. They're going to feed him targets. And in a, in a game where Dallas probably going to put up some points, San Francisco has been competitive in all these games. So, you know, if we think Dallas is going to be able to put up some points on San Francisco, you know, San Francisco's lost at the, what, the last five games by three points or less. So if we think Dallas is going to produce, then we, we already know about the opposing passing game correlations, opposing offense correlations. And, you know, Garcon's a pretty good way to take advantage of that, especially on DK where you get that uh, full point PPR against that Dallas zone defense um, should be some good opportunities for Garcon to have a good game, similar to how Larry Fitzgerald kind of went off against Dallas a few weeks ago. Um, So uh, that's Garcon. And then on FanDuel, we got Michael Thomas. He's coming off an $800 salary drop. He's down to 7,700 and that's a great spot to target him. Um, you know, at the, you know, kind of balance out that targeting Mark Ingram with his salary on the rise. Um, it's good. I think this week to get some exposure to Thomas against the Green Bay Packers, who are a team that I think you have to keep hammering wide receivers against. I mean, 62% of opposing quarterbacks attempts have gone to wide receivers against the Green Bay Packers. That's tied for fifth most in the league. And then as you guys will be able to read uh, this weekend, um, maybe by the time this pod is out, I'm not sure exactly when it's going to come out, but um, I wrote up, I created a, a new metric called the uh, funnel ratings. Um, basically just looking at a, adjusted fantasy points allowed um, for different combinations of positions. And, you know, for, for tight end funnel rating, I essentially look at, you know, wide, wide receiver production allowed versus tight end production allowed. And um, Green Bay, for, for when you take wide receiver and tight end production combined, 84% of Green Bay's adjusted fantasy points um, have come against the wide receivers, for, um, come Get, get, have been four wide receivers in that scenario, and um, that's third most in the league. So Green Bay is essentially a wide receiver funneling defense, and that's because their cornerbacks have been struggling um, with injuries and ineffectiveness, and Thomas can take full advantage of it. This is a situation where, you know, Thomas in his career averages 9.1 targets per game on the road and 7.3 at home. So Thomas has been that rare Saints player that's actually been more productive on the road. They seem to go to him, target him heavily when they want to kind of, you know, get the offense moving on the road at home. A lot of times there's a lot of other options they tend to work in. So um, I think this is a really good spot for Thomas. And he's kind of turning into the new Jordy Nelson, in my opinion, just uh, a, a big wide receiver attached to a an elite quarterback who can score or how or the battery of them, I should say, you know, is good at scoring in close. Michael Thomas, eight of thirteen career uh, red uh, targets inside the ten have gone for touchdowns. That's sixty one point five percent, and nine of twenty four in the red zone overall. Thirty seven point five percent is a, a very above average rate, but I think that those targets inside the ten are a lot more valuable than probably you know. I think red zone targets get cre- quoted more, but those targets inside the ten are really when you know if you're a good receiver, you're converting about half of those in the touchdowns and those are so crucial um, because they only happen a few times a game but if you're getting the target share there and, and you can convert those um, that's a major edge so I think especially on FanDuel Michael Thomas always has that multi-touchdown upside 
Yeah, I love that Jordy comp. That was kind of uh, one of the comps that crossed my mind going into uh, this off season. But of course, we only had one one season sample of data, and it looks like he's continuing that touchdown rate uh, going into this year. And I mean, yeah, if if you look at uh, at Green Bay, they've they've struggled versus those uh, versus those number ones. Uh, Julio put up 108 on them. AJ put up 111 and one. Des 52 and one. Then last week. Uh, Thielen 97 yards so that pri- those primary targets uh really eaten against Green Bay so I, I like that a lot uh moving on to tight end tight end Evan Ingram for the Giants, $5,500 on FanDuel, $4,400 on DraftKings. Uh, a lot of changes in uh, the Giants' offense last week. We saw their uh, all of their wide receivers get hurt at once, uh, and then they also switched up play calling duties, went over to Mike Sullivan, the offensive coordinator of uh, calling plays. So in these situations, it's kind of hard to separate out the, the full season data from uh, the new look data, but go with what we have. And in this first week with all these changes, Ingram saw 39 percent of the targets now uh sterling shepherd looks like he might come back but we're still short uh odell and brandon marshall so still uh, not many options outside of ingram he's had at least seven targets in uh seven targets in four games already this year seattle ranks in the bottom half of the league and adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends i mean their their secondary is good but you kind of talked about that funnel rating that you've been looking at and 28 percent of the passing yards that seattle's allowed this year has went to the tight end position that's the fifth highest rate of passing yards two tight ends in the league and then uh because of of his volume and because of his price on DraftKings, he is a top two projected value by four for four. Yeah, Evan Engram's going to be a major, majorly targeted player um, going forward this season. Just kind of breaking that trend of rookie tight ends struggling. I'm going to go with Austin Safarian Jenkins. It's probably the third time I've talked about him on the pod already this season. He's only been active for, for four or five games, but um, I, I think he's in a great spot again. He is 5K on DraftKings and 5,900 on FanDuel. Maybe people won't be on him as much because Dwayne Walker's in a good matchup. I know he costs about 900 more on DraftKings than, than ASJ, though. Same price on FanDuel, but... I think the key with ASJ, number one is he is tied for fifth among tight ends and targets per game since returning. 7.3 targets per game. That's a really strong number. Usually anytime you can get over six per game for a tight end, um, it kind of puts them in play in DFS. And then even more importantly for ASJ, four of seven, four of the Jets seven targets inside the 10 yard line since he has returned. And I mean, he's making it look easy on those targets. Him and Josh McCown already seem to have a chemistry. ASJ should have had another touchdown last week, got it overturned on what a crazy call that I don't, I still don't quite <clears throat> understand. But I mean, the Patriots can't lose. So, you know, that's kind of how that goes. Um, but. Yeah, ASJ, I think he's in a really good spot. Miami's ranked 26th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position. They're also ninth in tight end funnel rating, uh, funneling a lot of action toward the tight end and away from wide receivers. So um, ASJ, you know, pretty much going to be, I think, an every week option at this point, going to weed the Jets in targets, going to weed the Jets in targets inside the 10. Um, He's probably their most athletically um, gifted, explosive uh, receiver. Um, When you consider that Robbie Anderson's more of kind of a one-trick pony as a deep threat and Jermaine Curse is more of an underneath um, kind of zone-beating kind of wide receiver. So I think you're going to see ASJ continue to put up numbers all season. 
Yeah, you. I like that you mentioned the the pivot off of Delaney Walker, especially on FanDuel, where they're priced exactly the same, I believe. And I think that's really important to mention because people are going to look at tight end versus Cleveland and just auto lock uh, Delaney in, but. Delaney only has two red zone targets this year, and Tennessee is as much as they've like tried to bolster their wide receiving core. They're still a, a, a run first team. They're barely throwing fifty percent of the time in the red zone. Walker isn't getting those looks. I mean, they've tried to run it to Walker as many times as they tried <laughs> to pass it to him in the red zone. So like, and and I think I think both of those targets are shovel passes. So it's not even like he's getting matchup in zone targets. Uh, and I, I think that should be the tiebreaker, especially on FanDuel uh, if you're playing tournaments because we're looking for those touchdowns. I think ASJ just has a, a better chance of scoring, even though Cleveland is that team that Titans have been eaten against. Yeah, it's a great point because I was looking at the numbers this week and, you know, at least from the four for four projections, which of course are, you know, comparing players to salary and whatnot. Um, some of these Cleveland, I mean, some of these Titans players are, they look like it's, it looks a little riskier than you would think. You know, Mariota got priced up a ton on FanDuel and pretty high on DraftKings too. And so he's not, he's not, he's one of the, not one of the better values on either side, even though you kind of would think quarterbacks against Cleveland and, you know, Dwayne's not quite jumping out as much as you would think despite the matchup and, uh, you know, really some interesting, uh, interesting things when you when you look at these these players against Cleveland this week uh, for Tennessee so definitely something to keep in mind yeah I'll I might end up putting my uh, foot in my mouth later but we'll we'll get to that at the right time but uh moving on to kicker kicker um gonna go we, you went with Will that's last week I'm going right back to Will that's this week forty eight hundred dollars uh the Saints are favored by six with a twenty six point uh over 26 point implied point total. Let's is the top projected value at kicker on four for four this week. Uh, as I mentioned with Ingram, I just, I like the way this game sets up for the Saints. I, I think that uh, they win the game going away pretty handily. I think that uh, Hunley's going to turn the ball over a couple times, which is obviously great for game script, which we're always concerned about with our kickers. We want them kicking throughout the fourth quarter. We generally don't want to take that risk that they're going to uh, be on the wrong side of a close game and not be able to attempt those field goals yeah definitely uh for defense i got the minnesota vikings 4700 on FanDuel, 3300 on dk and at this point i think joe flacco has become a, a target in, in dfs for opposing defenses he has thrown an interception in 11 of his last 12 games he's thrown two interceptions in three of his last four games Baltimore is a five-point underdog. They have an implied point total of only 17 and a half. They have, they are averaging the third fewest yards per play at 4.5 and they are turning the ball over at the third highest rate in the league, 12 turnovers thus far. Um, for all the talk about Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers falling off, I think the quarterback that's fallen off the most out of the, that kind of veteran, not elite, but like next tier kind of guys has been Flacco. I mean, he hardly ever cracks 200 yards passing anymore, throwing a pick pretty much every game, really making nothing happen um, outside of what's what's drawn up, just really not really playing at a replacement level in terms of court, what he's given the Ravens in terms of quarterback play. And I think this Minnesota defense, they know they have to carry this team. Stephon Diggs banged up and uh, Davin Cook out for the season, Sam Bradford out. So 
I, I think I really like this Minnesota defense uh, at home versus the Baltimore Ravens in this game. But fantasy football fans, listen up. It's not too late to download the highest rated fantasy football app, Draft. Play in a real live snake draft, but be done in under five minutes. And they last for just one week. Drafts start every couple of minutes. So you can join one right now for week seven. And the best part, play for cold hard cash. And get this, your chances of winning are 80% better than on the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code 4 for 4 that's right. Play a real money game for free just by using the promo code 4 for 4. That's the number 4, the letters F O R and the number 4 and it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering DFS MVP listeners a money back guarantee up to $100. So just search Draft in your app store or go to draft.com and come play free right now with promo code 4 for 4. Let's get into this primetime slate, which should be a really interesting one. We have a couple of good matchups, close spreads. We have the New England Patriots playing the Atlanta Falcons at home. That's currently a 55 over under with a spread of three and a half in favor. Oh, it's up to 56, actually. Okay, so it's up to 56, the over under, with the Patriots up by uh, three and a half. So that's the Patriots implied totals essentially around 30 points. Falcons not far behind. And then you have the Eagles, four and a half point favorites against the Washington Redskins. They're at home. The over-under in that game is 48.5. So two pretty good games. There's obviously one game expected to be a lot higher scoring. So I guess, TJ, I'll just start off. How are you attacking the slate in general, given kind of the discrepancy between the two games? Um, in tournaments, are you looking to kind of go contrarian and, and, and get some of these Eagles and Redskins in there and kind of build around that? Or are you just trying to still hit on the right combo of Patriots and, and Falcons in that game? Yeah, <sighs> This So I've been approaching this slate um, a little differently for a couple reasons. One, they keep going back and forth between pricing being unique or not. So that's kind of changed how I approach slate as a whole. I, I did a spot check. It looks like it's the same as the main slate. Did you? Can you confirm that for yeah, me? Yeah, it's the same. I okay. think the way they decide about it is... Like this week you have high salary players anyway, like the Patriots and Falcons and, you know, even some of the Eagles mm-hmm. are, are, have high salaries. So I think when it's like that, they just leave it. But in situations like last week when you had a whole bunch of Colts and Titans and whatnot, I think that's when they try to up it just to make sure you don't, you're not left with like everyone can't just play every combination they want. They kind of up it with the, with the bad teams. But yeah, I think that's how it's probably going to go, um, from here on out. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, um, so I, I keep looking at that first and then we, we have this, we have the primetime Sunday night game on FanDuel, but not on DraftKings now. So I've kind of been, uh, paying to that, paying attention to that a little bit as far as my exposures go. Uh, but I, I think what I'm just kind of, gonna do is try to uh exploit the the positional matchups in the washington uh philly game and see where i'm gonna go contrarian in this new england um atlanta game because obviously people are gonna want to go crazy with this uh over under in the atlanta new england game and it probably is 
going to play out to be the highest scoring of the week. There really isn't anything that suggests that this game can be a dud. But for example, uh, Philadelphia really struggles against receivers. And we know that in this Atlanta-New England game, New England uh, has a lot of weapons. And then Atlanta outside of Julio, it's kind of hard to decide where they're going to spread the ball around to. So you could leverage that by targeting uh, some Washington wide receivers. We've kind of seen their their offense and Kirk Cousin coming on of late. And, and I believe that we've all kind of we, – we just did a uh, – a, a write-up for Sports Illustrated last week talking about uh, players that we think are going to start improving. And I think you and I both discussed the Washington passing game. So I, I just like this Washington offense to improve as a whole. And then kind of similar thing. I, I think people might be looking to New England pass catchers against Atlanta uh, because Atlanta typically struggles against pass catching running backs. But I actually like going back to Washington, looking at their, uh, their pass game against this Philly defense and probably pivoting to a little bit more Chris Thompson where everybody might be looking to uh to James White or something like that yeah I think Chris Thompson is definitely in play I mean he's just making big plays every week I mean regardless of you know what his actual touch expectation is or whatnot he's just playing playing really good football right now so I think Thompson is definitely somebody that you want exposure to you mentioned Julio Jones something interesting about Julio is uh, I spent some time last week actually trying to find what were the leading indicators of big games for Julio Jones because he seems like one of those guys where it's tougher to predict like I think for Antonio Brown we kind of just know anytime he has any kind of decent matchup or anytime he's at home he's going off and then Odell Beckham you can kind of you know anytime he's in in a, in a tough in, in a pretty good matchup you can kind of tell but Julio it's not as predictable it seems to be and it turns out to be true where you look at you can look at Julio versus you know top uh, bottom 10 pass defenses really kind of averages the same amount of points. You can look at Julio in games with high over-unders, averages the same amount of points. You know, all these different factors, you know, at home, same amount of points versus on the road. But the one thing that I found with Julio that, that really stands out as far as where he really does show a split as far as his production, both career-wise and in this Dan Quinn era, is when the Falcons are an underdog. And when the Falcons are an underdog, um, you know, since 2015, you know, Julio averages, uh, 19.8 FanDuel points uh, per game compared to 14.7 in, in the 24 games when they're the favorite. 11 games is the underdog. So, um, definitely some splits there. And in career, it kind of shows the same thing. And, um, I don't know if that's noise or what. Um, it kind of could make sense in the se- in, in the sense that when the Falcons are an underdog, they probably realize, hey, we got to come out throwing a little more. We got to, and he's also his yards per catch seems to go up when they're an underdog. So it might just be that might just come out of game script based necessity. But whatever the reason, I think that's something that's noteworthy because I think we've been waiting for Julio to kind of go off, and I believe this is the first game the Falcons are underdog so um, it, it would be it would make sense um, for, as a spot for Julio to to go off I'm um, going back to those Washington receivers um, what's your take on on just how that's going to break down um, is Terrell Pryor the play or, or, or are you looking at Crowder I know Dotson's been getting about 25 percent of the snaps um, Ryan Grant's been getting a ton of snaps um, so who are you looking at there yeah I still think um, probably Pryor's a play for me. I know Dotson's had a couple splash plays, but he just he's still just not seeing the the volume of snaps that I'm going to be comfortable targeting him even in uh, even on a short slate. So I, I think Pryor and then Crowder uh, is number two for me. I do like 
Jordan Reed uh, just because we have three expensive-ish tight ends on this slate, but everybody's going to be looking at Gronk. So uh, I know you asked me about Washington specifically, but I like Reed and I also like going to Ertz because on the other side of the ball, we, we're talking about uh, these splits and Washington is really, really good against receivers and really bad against tight ends. So I actually like both tight ends in the Monday night game while everybody's looking to Gronk. Yeah, I think Zach Ertz, I mean, he's probably just as good of a play at this point is Gronk, you know, maybe, you know, when you consider price, um, obviously Gronk has maybe a little more top end upside, multi-touchdown upside, although we did see Ertz score two touchdowns last week. Um, you know, just a high total game probably gives Gronk that more overall upside um, in case of the shootout. But I mean, Zach Ertz has just been amazing for pretty much the last 16 games now. I believe he has double digit DraftKings points in 13 out of the last 15 or 14 out of the last 16 now. Um, he's had double digit FanDuel points even in every game this season. Um, just really producing at a consistent level that we haven't seen from a tight end since Gronk. So, I mean, to, to save that salary in a, in a, in a slate where things are going to be tight, I, I do like going to Ertz. Um, do like going to read. Uh, I should note though that Philadelphia has, they, they tend to do well against tight ends. They actually are ranked number 27 in tight end funnel. So they're more of a wide receiver funnel with Jalen Mills and Russell Douglas on the outside. A lot of inexperience there. Uh, Kirk Cousins probably going to target that. But, um, I, what do you think of Austin Hooper then? Because, I mean, that's really the tight end if you're trying to, you know, depart from these this pricing from a pricing just lineup construction standpoint. I mean, wouldn't Austin Hooper kind of be the play? He's he's um he's in a pretty good spot. I mean, he's got nine and seven targets these last two games. New England's bottom five versus the tight end in uh, schedule adjusted. Yeah, I, I think people are are going to look at that nine and seven targets and and, and what you mentioned with uh, New England struggling against tight ends in ASJ last week. But I, I just think we have three of the best tight end talents uh, in the league on this slate, and I want them and I. I think people are going to forget that uh, Julio was out for much of the game two weeks ago, and then Snoo was out last week. It's sounding like a pretty good chance they're back to a, a fully healthy receiver core. So, uh, I mean, I guess if you're just playing the primetime slate, you can wait, but uh, until that, until all the the actives and in, inactives are announced. But if we get Snoo and, and a healthy Julio, I think we could see that Hooper target share uh, drop uh, a, a lot lower than what we've seen the last couple of weeks and go back to uh, kind of that original just mundane usage. Uh, so I, I'm even though he is a, a big price pivot off of the. Um, in terms of overall lineup construction, like I said, we just have three superior talents on this slate, and I'm not sure that I want to do it if they have a, a completely healthy core. Yeah, and Sanu, speaking of Sanu, that's a good point, because Sanu actually, he's liable to get a few targets inside the 10-yard line if he's healthy, so that's somebody that you don't want to overlook. You know, if you're building lineups, I guess, before, you know, Sunday night, you're kind of building them, you know, leading up you know, to the weekend you want to kind of keep Sanu in mind because if he plays, he will probably be a factor. I mean, everyone who suits up against the Patriots is essentially a factor. They are very bad in every, against every position. Let's see. They have, they are 31st against schedule adjusted fantasy points. While they're 31st against quarterbacks, 28th against running backs, 28th against wide receivers, 29th against tight ends, 
31st against uh, overall offenses. So you pretty much want to get any player playing full-time snaps in against the Patriots. So I think Mohamed Sanu is a, is a really good option. We talked about this on the pod before when we were breaking down small slates, is that the number one wide receiver on a given team will lead that team in fantasy production only about 50% of the time, give or take. So there's, you know, there's a 50-50 shot that, for example, Julio Jones does not lead the Falcons in production. Now, I think Julio's a great player. I think it's a good bet that he does lead them in production, but just something to keep in mind as far as Mohamed Sanu and to a lesser extent, Taylor Gabriel, because I, I, he's not going to play um, a full complement of snaps if, if Sanu is back, unless Sanu is limited in any way, which we just have to monitor, but we don't know it at this point. But um, Sanu is a person, a player that I think, you know, anytime you have these kind of slates where people are, you know, kind of have it in their head that, that, that something's going to be a certain way, and then these guys are active, you always want to kind of monitor that and, and, and be, be ready to exploit it because I think Sanu would be a big factor in a game where that, that could be a high scoring game. I mean, he could score two touchdowns kind of yeah. like Devonte adams that 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 time when he came back from the uh when he came back from the, i think you wrote him up too tj mm-hmm. in your slate breakdown but he came back from that that gruesome hit yep. that concussion and i think he was like two point two three percent owned because everyone just kind of you know out of sight out of mind you know kind of had it in their head that he's probably not playing in this game and then he comes and plays and you know catching passes from Aaron Rodgers he scores two touchdowns I think we have a similar situation with Sanu yeah that that's actually I wasn't going to mention exactly uh, Adams but the the Packers have been dealing with a couple injuries over the last uh, couple of weeks at wide receiver and you you mentioned uh, we don't know we might not know until game time if if Sanu is going to be active and people are obviously going to build their lineups before then and just kind of a, a general lineup theory especially on these short slates something that I always look to do if you're trying to build a contingency plan is not just looking at say it's between Hooper and Sanu is going to be your decision Uh, look at other players that you might end up swapping maybe in the Monday night game and looking for a contingency plan with a similar total salary so maybe you'll look at something like Sanu plus the the price of a running back and then uh, if you end up having to swap to Hooper, looking for Hooper and then the price of, of a different running back in the game on Monday night. So uh, not just having one contingency plan in place, but paying attention to those salary sums and being able to to do uh, to do multiplayer swaps uh, beforehand and not just kind of scrambling and mashing buttons at the last minute. Yeah, it's definitely a great point. You have to be prepared because I remember we talked about this a few times, but a, a large majority of people playing these primetime slates aren't listening to podcasts like this. They're not necessarily subscribing to any DFS service like 444. They're just playing a little bit more recreationally. They want to, they, they see a, a, a couple games on TV and then they want to just get some action, especially in a game like this where it's to, it's to essentially, it's a Super Bowl rematch. So it's going to be a very popular game, I'm sure. And I think another way that you can kind of exploit the 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 ownership in tournaments of this slate is that especially because it's this high scoring high total game on 
the Sunday night, I think when a lot of people, they want to get that action in the first game. So I think you're going to see ownership even tilted even more than usual towards the, the Patriots and the, the Falcons just because I think when people play these uh, slates recreationally, they want action in that first game. They don't want to wait till Monday night to have all their action. So they're not just going to be sitting there with a bunch of Cousins, Wentz, and Ertz exposure headed into Monday night. I think they're going to have, you know, this is going to, it's going to be a ton of Patriots and Falcons exposure. And I think, um, maybe, maybe even just the quarterbacks, if you can kind of, if you can pivot off a of Brady or a Ryan and you get to a quarterback like Wentz or Cousins, I mean, both of those guys are top six. Uh, projected just in total fantasy points this week at four for four. So um, those guys are in pretty good spots as well. And you can save a little bit of salary by bumping down to them. And they might, they might allow you to kind of get some of those more expensive Patriots like Gronk and Julio into your lineup and make a, a stronger overall lineup. And you can also kind of leverage the fact that both the Patriots and the Falcons have running backs that are heavily involved in their offenses. And even though this is a high scoring project, a projected high scoring game, um, there could be, there's a, a scenario where the running backs could account for a lot of those touchdowns. Yeah. Freeman and Coleman who are liable to score uh, both liable to score multiple touchdowns essentially and then for the Patriots you have uh, a myriad of running backs that could end up uh, hogging touchdowns you have James White who catch a lot of passes TJ you mentioned the Falcons tend to give up those catches that's just their defensive scheme they they want to rally around the ball and make tackles but they're okay with kind of giving up those catches to the running backs um, and then you have Deion Lewis who has an outside shot to be more of a feature back after Mike Gillisley fumbled and went into the doghouse and then you have Gillisley who who knows if maybe that was just a one game thing you know we know Belichick doesn't like fumbles but if Gillisley's back out there <coughs> excuse me we could see a kind of a, a repeat of week one where he had those three touchdowns um this is a game certainly the type of game for it with an over under of 56 so there's a lot of different running backs in in that Patriots Falcons game that could be factors so um, something to keep in mind if you want to kind of target those passing games in Washington, in uh, Philly. Yeah, and, and I, I think that we haven't even mentioned the obvious here that uh, in in terms of pivoting to the quarterbacks in the Washington-Philly game, their game has an over-under 48.5. That's the second highest of the week. So I, I think people are just going to automatically mash these lock buttons on the, the Patriots and the Falcons and kind of overlook the fact that Philadelphia and Washington is going to be a really high scoring game too. And I mean, it's all, it's all just relative, right? These, if these are the two highest scoring games, then there's gonna be a lot of fantasy scoring on both sides. And I want to touch on the, uh, I already talked about Chris Thompson, but, uh, LeGarrette Blunt has, 17 red zone opportunities. 12 of those have come inside the 10, but he's only scored twice. I always kind of reference that red zone expected value metric that I tend to look to for regression. And this is kind of the year, uh, part of the time of the year where we can finally start using that data. We have six weeks of data now. So uh, just based on where all those carries have come from and those opportunities for Blunt, he should have over four touchdowns. So he's scoring at about half the rate of what he should be. And if that game's high scoring and Blunt continues to get that work inside the 10 which I don't even think people notice that he's getting because he hasn't got the touchdowns he could very easily have a multi-touchdown game this week yeah and he's just been running well all season I mean when you watch him like he doesn't look like a 30 whatever he's 30 31 year old running back he's running over people and doing things just like he was doing when he was younger so um, I do like Blunt. I think he's a he's a great play, home favorite running back. I mean, he checks all the boxes. The only thing he's not that involved in the passing game, although he did catch a touchdown 
earlier this season. So Blunt's a really good play. And then I think for defenses, it's interesting too, because if you're talking about tournaments, especially if it's a super large field, um, I think you have a lot of leverage by targeting the Falcons or the Patriots defense. Um, it, it probably no one will touch them, especially on FanDuel where you have that four player limit. Um, so everyone's going to want to use that up on offensive players. But, um, just because there's going to be so much exposure on Patriots and Falcons, no one's really going to touch those two defenses. And we, we've seen this time and time again where just because there's a high scoring game or offenses are scoring, it doesn't mean that the defenses are useless. Um, a lot of times, you know, defenses in those kind of games are what we want because we want the opposing offense to be passing a lot. What that does is give more of a chance for interceptions, for sacks and for sack fumbles. Essentially all of the DF defensive scoring plays happen on passing plays. It's really hard for a defense to, to do anything on a running play besides recover a fumble. It's usually not one of those fumbles that you can pick up and take to the house because it's in the pile rather than um, kind of behind the line of scrimmage where it would be if the quarterback gets sacked. So I think you, if you if you get a special teams touchdown or a pick six or defensive type touchdown in, in any way from, from one of those Patriots or Falcons defenses, um, I think that could actually give you a big leg up because I doubt either of them will be in double digit ownership even just because of the way the slate kind of shakes out. Yeah, no, no team uh, offense ranks particularly well in terms of fantasy points allowed to uh, to opposing defenses, and I, I think uh, no one's going to be necessarily excited about uh, rostering any of the defenses. But obviously, after to roster one, they're both probably going to be high scoring games. But uh, I, I do like the leverage play of going after one of those defenses. I, I do want to note that of these four offensive lines, Philadelphia does rank worse in adjusted sack rate. Uh, so that's something that I look to when I'm targeting a defense because we're, as you mentioned, when there's a lot of passing, you're looking for a chance to get after uh, the quarterback. Now, um, game script might not necessarily determine that uh, that happens just because Philly is the favorite. But again, it's a, it's a relatively close spread in a divisional matchup. So that offensive line is worth noting. Yeah, that's interesting because I actually would think Philly would have I would think Philly had the best offensive line out of these four teams that we're talking about. So that's like, I guess it's Carson Wentz. He's been, he, mm-hmm, he gets yep. into some trouble at times, but he also has been playing really well. But yeah, that's a good point. Um, who, who else we got to talk about? Any off the, off the board kind of plays, on the, <clears throat> excuse me, that we didn't mention on either of these teams? Um, I think the one that that's probably going to stand out to people is um, is going to be the Austin Hooper call. I think again that's really going to uh, depend, for me at least, on if Sanu is active or not. Uh, the only other guy that I I might throw a dart at is Tevin Coleman, just because he still gets that usage. New England does struggle against pretty much every position, and, and Freeman's going to be the top value, uh, the top projection. So I, I think it's worth having some Coleman in your portfolio, especially if you're playing uh, mass multi-entry on the short slate. Definitely. Coleman is one of those guys that could just kind of screw everything up because I think a lot of people are going to want to go with Freeman um, as their top running back and, you know, Coleman probably going to be negatively. Although Coleman actually hasn't been negatively correlated with, with Freeman, which is interesting. It's actually been when Freeman goes off, Coleman usually does well too. It's it's usually that the, the passing game is um, the one that struggles. Um, but but I'm not sure if that's um, significant or just, just noise, but something to note. Um, oh, Alshon Jeffrey. I think that he's an interesting play because Washington's corners are banged up. I don't know if Josh Norman's going to play, and Bashad Breeland had some type of injury. I think he had a MCL or sprain or something, so he's not a hundred percent. I don't think he's a hundred percent going to play. 
in this game either. So either way, Alshon Jeffries, wide receiver who probably goes overlooked just because you have so many wide receivers to choose from in the Patriots and Falcons with Julio and Cooks and Hogan and those guys. So I think Alshon Jeffrey, and then people, if people go to the Eagles, they're probably going to want to play Zach Ertz for the matchup. So I think Alshon Jeffrey is kind of a, a sneaky little play on small slates. I think you have to always consider guys like Nelson Aguilar, Torrey Smith, guys that could score a touchdown and getting, getting decent targets and kind of fill that third uh, wide receiver slot. So, um, you know, Washington secondary is a little banged up. So monitor that. But if, if Washington secondary continues to be banged up, um, definitely want to consider those, those Eagles receivers, um, as, as contrarian plays in those, in those large field tournaments as well. And a kicker, uh, a kicker, I really like, uh, Steven Gast- Towski, I think a lot of people probably go Jake Elliott on FanDuel. There's only three kickers to choose from because the Redskins put their kicker Hopkins on the IR. So I think Elliott, he's 4,600. Uh, Gostowski's 5,100. And Bryant is, is 50, what, 52 or 53? I forget. I'm not having it in front of me. But um, either way, I think people aren't going to want to pay up at kicker. So everyone's going to go Elliott. But Gostowski is in a, he's essentially in an eruption spot, um, in this 56 implied total game. I mean, 56 over under game against the Falcons team that ranks 31st in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to kickers. So, I mean, I don't know this might be the first kicker eruption spot, uh, for DFS MVP, but definitely an eruption spot for, uh, for Gostowski. And he might on Fandle, he might, if, if he scores, let's say 15 to 20 points at a, a 5,100 hour salary, um, if people are fading that, that just might be access to a, a, a total lineup score that a lot of people don't have, um, just because of, of, of they don't have that kicker. So I, I think you really want to get some exposure to Gostowski on Fandle. Yeah. The, a, a simple no can suffice if you want, but is there any scenario where you don't see the St. Land and New England game at least hit like 45 points, like a 24, 21? Is there any way you see this scoring <sighs> under that? Hmm. I mean, I would say yeah, because I think, and I do like to do that, like every, I try to kind of handicap every game, um, kind of from a, I've been kind of getting into a little more, you know, the, 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 just the, the Vegas lines and odds overall. And, you know, um, legalized betting on some of those. But, um, I think that you have to kind of look at, okay, what could go wrong in a game? And I think we do know one thing is that, that Bill Belichick will probably see this defense and he knows his defense isn't playing very well. I mean, they could have very, they could have lost that game against the Jets. They could have lost the game against the Bucks if the Bucks had a field goal kicker, even though that wasn't a ne- necessarily a high-scoring game. I mean, on Thursdays, you kind of expect that sometimes when two teams are tired. But I think Belichick could conceivably kind of play a type of like ball control situation and try to keep Atlanta's offense off the field and Atlanta their struggle is as like what happened last week with them was they just got behind in the down and distance um in the second half they didn't score any points they got in a bunch of third and longs so I think you could see Belichick at least attempt to do something like that I don't think he's going to want to just put his defense out there for for 30-35 minutes against Julio Jones and, and and Matt Ryan and Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. So I, I do see a scenario where, yeah, you know, it could be like a, a 20 to 17, 20 to 14 type game, but I don't think it's very likely because New England just hasn't been able to, to kind of execute the, the, on the defensive end, regardless, you know, you know, if they're on the field for 25 minutes, they could still give up 30 points. So, I mean, it's, it's always going to be, there's always going to be, it's always going to be in the realm of possibility, yeah. but I see it as pretty unlikely. Maybe it doesn't hit the total though. Maybe it doesn't hit the 56. I mean, 56 is, is high and the Falcons, they've underwhelmed pretty much in every 
every game they've played this year except the, the well, except the Green Bay game. Detroit game is kind of weird. They threw a bunch of, I think Ryan threw a pick six and a bunch of weird yeah. things happened in that game. But, um, yeah, aside from that Green Bay game, the Falcons have kind of been underwhelming. So, I mean, it could happen. Why? What do you think? Yeah, no, that's the, the only reason I ask is because one exercise I've really been trying to uh, make myself do uh, this year is what can go right in games I don't like and what could go wrong in games that I really like. And if this game does end up being like 23 to 20, I mean, that's that's you know it's possible and people are going to be really disappointed and i i was kind of thinking that there's maybe uh you know uh uh, something in like the 10 percent chance that exactly what you mentioned happens i mean we i think there's a chance that come like by week 10 that these falcons games aren't these huge over-unders because Remember, we have a really long history of Matt Ryan kind of running this mediocre offense and being mediocre himself. And that's kind of what we've seen so far this year. He's in the middle of the pack in touchdown rate, in the middle of pack fantasy points per attempt, kind of low in interception rate. That's really what he's been his whole career. And if, if Belichick decides to sell out, take away Julio like we, we know he does, I mean – what happened last week with Atlanta, like you said, they kind of got behind behind and down distance. Miami slowed it down. And, I mean, if, if Matt Ryan throws a couple bad picks, even though New England is really bad, Matt Ryan's been mediocre a lot of the times and ruined these good spots. And if if Patriots get up 14 points, I don't think uh, I don't think Belichick realized that he needs to, to be in a shootout. I mean, they barely beat the Jets. What's the point, you know? So I do think there is a slim possibility. That's why I asked, and I'm, I'm kind of glad you agreed with the, with the take before hearing yeah um i think i mean if you if you can compare it you could probably compare it to the tampa bay game where i mean again i know it's thursday night and some other factors probably influence that that low scoring game but i think that game had an over under of maybe 54 points mm-hmm. that closed that and it ended up 19 14 patriots and i mean it, tampa bay offense somewhat similar you have kind of a, a you know above average quarterback that has never really like separated himself from the pack yet um statistically in Jameis winston you have like an alpha dog number one receiver and mike evans you know you have a couple other pieces on the offense so i i think you know atlanta's offense in some ways you know obviously more explosive um than tampa bay's but um, you could, you know, if, if that game can go 19 to 14, I mean, I think you can kind of see it happen with this game. And um, I, I do think, TJ, that, that it's a really good practice um, that you're doing with kind of looking at what could go wrong. Because uh, I was actually doing that with my friend Warren Sharp, um, great follow on Twitter, at Sharp Football. But um, we were talking about, uh, this was a couple weeks ago, Todd Gurley against the Seattle Seahawks when at first it kind of looked like he was going to be this contrarian play because no one wants to play people against Seattle. But then it turned out later in the week that Gurley was this chalky play that everyone was kind of onto. And one of the things I mentioned was, okay, well, Seattle struggled against the run, but the Rams have haven't and especially Jared Goff they haven't faced a good pass defense yet so you know Gurley and the Rams offense had been able to operate against all these strong um you know run run um all these weak run defenses and weak pass defenses as well but even though the the Seahawks run defense is weak it was like their pass defense was strong and I was like well you know that might that kind of uh throw off just the rhythm of that whole offense because yeah. if their pass offense is struggling they're not staying on the field then Gurley's numbers are going to suffer and that's what kind of happened so yeah I think you know it, that that kind of worked out to kind of think through that and I think the same thing you have to do you have to do the same thing with these games especially in these 
these primetime slates where, you know, if if everyone kind of thinks one way about a certain game, as they most certainly are this week, um, and you kind of can find a, a different angle that maybe you want to leverage or exploit, um, you, you might have a big edge. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just something I wanted to – I've been doing it, and then the, the Giants game really got me thinking about it this uh, this past week just because – I mean, cool. if there if there's one sport where there's isn't locks, it's football, and I think people just tend to forget that so much, especially when people are leaning on on things like Vegas lines. So I, I just wanted to mention that the Giants game made no sense. Like, <laughs> no, it it, <laughs> it still doesn't make sense. And I don't mean I don't mean to take anything away from the Giants. I mean the Broncos make no made no sense in that game. Like their they their game plan was essentially let's come out and target the Giants' best cornerback. Um, let's let's use our third best running back on all third downs. And, uh, let's play a bunch of zone against a team that probably, like, that couldn't beat man coverage. Like, that, I just had no idea, like, what they were doing, like, for most of that game. I mean, I guess maybe they targeted Demarius a lot against Jenkins because he got the one-on-one and they figured, hey, we're gonna, they're gonna do that instead of, you know, going to, to Manny because he's doubled. But, I mean, it just, a lot of things in that game just didn't make sense. Um, game plan wise coming out of the buy, it like, seemed like they overthink it or, or something. I just came out sluggish on top of that. But yeah, you make, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, we, if the Giants can beat the Broncos in Denver last week, um, <laughs> then anything, anything is possible. I mean, even another one is, uh, that was stunning was, uh, T.Y. Hilton. What do you have? One catch? This uh, on Monday, um, I, I think we heavily pushed for people to fade that play in the primetime slate last week. I, I don't, I don't. Well, I didn't, well, maybe you did, but I, I certainly didn't fade T.Y. Hilton. Um, I was like, I don't even. I was like, nah, man. I mean, it was. I, I didn't expect like a, a you know an eruption, but I mean, one catch is just against a defense that had been um essentially bleeding production of wide receivers. Just you know kind of oh adrian peterson another one it's like this dude can't average three yards a carry for like the last two years goes to arizona and boom 134 and two touches you know a lot of a lot of unexpected things can happen in the nfl so i definitely i you have to give that kind of you have to kind of um i guess give credence to that 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 you know especially on these short slates it's not just you know making the best predictions especially on these short slates it's kind of finding out how you can leverage other people being wrong with their predictions sure let's get to these bold calls and then get out of here who you got for a team bold call team bold call uh i swear we don't plan these things before we go on air that both of us have have a, a bold call for the primetime slate my bold call is that washington pulls the upset over philadelphia uh philadelphia has the most plays uh within one score this year and and i mean that's just that kind of is a quick and dirty way of looking at uh, what if things are bouncing a good way or a bad way uh, for a team on the other end of that spectrum, the San Francisco 49ers, they have the, the fourth most plays within one score. So I, I think things have been going a little well for Philly. Uh, I think Carson Wentz is playing a little bit above his head. I think his touchdown rate's like 7% right now. And I kind of mentioned the matchups I like in the primetime uh, breakdown that we just did. And, and Washington has a good D-line versus offensive line matchup. And I think that's where things can go awry a lot of times. Uh, Couple pressures, couple turnovers, and and I wouldn't be surprised to see Philly come away with a win in a divisional matchup. I mean Washington. Yeah, I like, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I think you know Washington's one of those teams that's liable to win every game, liable to lose every game. They just kind of mm-hmm. they play 
play close games no matter what. Um, for my bowl call, I got actually, it's funny. Same, you're right. Same, uh, same theme. I got the Falcons, um, going to Foxborough and getting the win. Um, again, we've just seen this Patriots defense. They kind of lull us to sleep because they get some wins, but this defense just hasn't been good all season. And I think a lot of people maybe don't expect the Falcons to kind of come in and get this win after they blew it, blew one versus Miami. But I think that's part of what, why they probably blew it versus Miami in that second half. They probably we had this game against the Patriots circled. We know they want to avenge that meltdown in the Super Bowl. And, you know, this Patriots defense, again, they could they should have lost to Tampa Bay. If Tampa Bay has a field goal kicker or or, or they or they get a better play at that last play of the game uh, to the end zone of Cameron Brait, um or Mike Evans, I forget who it was, but they, it was an incomplete pass. If they complete that pass or they get a, a few different kicks go their way in that game, Tampa Bay probably wins that game. And then last week, if the Jets don't get robbed of a touchdown, that's a whole new game that the Patriots might not necessarily win either. So uh, Patriots kind of on a slippery slope here, and I think they uh, will lose this game to the Atlanta Falcons. What about a bowl call for a player? I'm I'm gonna go down swinging with my man Eric Decker. I don't know how many, uh, how much more time I have left to to get excited about Decker. So I'm gonna do I'm gonna strike while the iron's still a little bit warm. I suppose uh, Decker had 29% uh, target share last week. My bold call is that he gets two touchdowns uh, this week. Uh, it, it looks like Corey Davis is already out again. Uh, the the Browns have allowed the highest touchdown rate in the red zone through the air this year. And I mentioned that uh, really the only other formidable red zone threat is Delaney Walker, and they just haven't been using him near the goal line. So uh, hopefully that momentum that Decker started last week continues versus uh, a really bad Cleveland defense. And, and if 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 it doesn't happen this time, I might uh, I might have to. Uh, retire my my Eric Decker jersey at least for the year I mean so might so might Eric Decker (laughs) (laughs) um I'm gonna go with and my guy Peter Jennings if he's listening to this will be happy but my bold call this week is going to be Amari Cooper uh 100 yards touchdown against the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend uh Terrence Mitchell who Cooper is slated to run the majority of his routes against cornerback Terrence Mitchell has allowed 502 yards in coverage this year. That's most in the NFL, 50, 52 targets. That's the second most in the NFL. Uh, so I think this is the week where Cooper kind of gets off the schneid and, and kind of gets back at it and, and maybe make some people some money in that, uh, in that Thursday slate. Yeah, if you're playing full slate and you uh, roster Cooper and he goes off, you're probably going to be sitting very pretty going into Sunday. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Week 7 DFS MVP. Hope you enjoyed. Hope we're helping you guys profit in DFS. Be sure to check out um, that 444.com DFS subscription. If you rate and review the podcast and send a screenshot to DFS MVP at 444.com, you can get 25% off the 444 DFS sub. Be sure to follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez and follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Any last words, TJ? Let's do the shmoney dance. Let's get this shmoney. Check it out. First I limped to the side like my leg was broken Shaking and twitching kinda like I was smoking Crazy wax funky People say you look like MC Hammer on crack, Humpty That's alright cause my body's in motion It's supposed to look like a fit or a convulsion Anyone can play this game This is my dance y'all, Humpty Hump's my name No two people will do it the same You gotta die.